I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie. I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Madeline slash Renata. And I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Jane slash Madeline. Welcome back to our book club episode. The Undoing was based on a book called You Should Have Known by Jean Hanf Korlitz. I think I'm saying that right. But as we'll get into in this episode, while the show sticks fairly closely to the first half of the book, it goes off down an entirely different path than the second half of the book. So, Rebecca, let's start start by talking about the first half of this book, which fans of the show will recognize, sort of. One of the main differences here, I think, is that the book is not a whodunit. The book never tries to suggest anyone but Jonathan committed the, the crime. And so what did you think about the way... Sorry. All right. So, Rebecca, let's start by talking about the first half of the book, which fans of the show will recognize, sort of. One of the main differences here, I think, is that the book is not a whodunit. The book never tries to suggest anyone but Jonathan committed this crime. So, what did you think about the choice to make this a more or less open and shut case in the book? I thought it was great. I mean, I think that I can see... So I, I understand the undoing so much better having read this book mm-hmm. because I think what they were trying to do is capture the essence of this book, which is not a whodunit. It's a psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that grown. We know from the beginning that something is up. She's written this book called You Should Have Known. She's a therapist. I mean, anything that we have learned from our you know middle school English classes onward tells us to pay attention to dramatic irony. And this was just full of it. So even before... Jonathan is accused of killing Elena, or even before Elena, I'm going to do this the whole time, Malaga Mm -hmm. is killed. Um, Yeah, we should tell people who haven't read the book that Elena is Malaga in the book, and her daughter is named Elena. Right. Yeah. Yes. So I'm sorry, and I'm going to mess this Mm -hmm. up throughout. So my apologies, listeners, this is going to be a mess. So... It's this sort of like psychological undoing of this woman who has a believe she's got a very clear picture of her life and her marriage and so much so that she in the first or second chapter references herself as being like a psychic secondarily like she really believes that she knows people and is a very interior person the whole story is told in this sort of interior point of view we're often getting her explicit thoughts her reactions to things. It's very much her story. So I can understand now why The Undoing took the like strange, lyrical, dreamy approach that it did if it was trying to capture some of this psychological tension that the book had running through it. Because that is really the only mystery is when she's going to figure it out and what's going to happen to her once she does. Like it is mm-hmm. very clear from the start. Jonathan doesn't appear once in this entire book other than in text and in a letter. He is absolutely a ghost that haunts it. And you just know from the beginning, this is a bad dude. She can't see it. And that's what lends the book its tension. And that doesn't necessarily, when I talk about it, sound like it would be that dramatic or filled with tension. But it really is. It's a taut little thriller, but very much a thriller of the mind and not got anything to do. We don't learn how uh, Malaga, Malaga? This is just going to be a nightmare. How <laughs> Malaga died. We don't know any of these details. There's no sculpting hammer. There's no, her dad is perfectly lovely. There's nothing sketchy with Henry. It is just a straight up story of one woman's coming to terms with the fact that everything she thinks she knows about the world has actually blinded her to the reality of her situation that multiple other people have seen clearly. And I thought it was pretty darn good. Carolyn, what did you think? Yeah, you know, I'm of mind to agree with that because so the TV show really did kind of make it we found ourselves just pontificating like who it could have been Um, you know throughout the series we were pointing fingers wildly at all the characters and here you know right from the get-go you 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 know Um, I I mean you do have to kind of like have some suspension of disbelief that an acclaimed a psychologist who has literally written the book that men like that you should know if your man has tricked you is has been tricked by a man like that's a little you know I guess kind of it's just so ironic that it doesn't it, it doesn't sparkle but at the same time by the time you get to the second half of the book and you're getting to investigate not the 
who in the crime, but the why. And it's not just the why of the crime, it's the why she, you're, you're kind of almost getting at the root of what blocked her from being able to see this and what in his past and what in her past. And it becomes a really interesting journey that I found myself being like, I wish the show had taken this pursuit because I feel like it would have been so much more interesting and I think a much richer character for Nicole Kidman to play. And I think that Nicole Kidman read the book and was trying to like internalize and express a lot of the feelings that Grace in the book has and expresses. Yeah. And I, I see now what her performance was trying to do so much more. But you shouldn't have to read the book to understand what an actor right. is doing. So that was, you know, not great. But I really do wish the show had stayed truer to the book. Because I think the book is so much more interesting. It is a true psychological study of love and deception and, uh, you know, just fear and longing and years of buildup of things. I mean, it just had so many more nuances than the show was able to muster with their simple, like, you know, wild whodunit and, and chaos of the chase. Yeah, I mean, I think the book is, the story is much more interesting than any simple whodunit. Like, we've got a million of those. Like, I don't really understand the decision to move away from the story of a woman rebuilding her life. Like, you could have started, if they had started this story, you know, from the moment she finds out that he did it to the, and leaves the city, basically it would have been a much more interesting story because... Yeah, yeah I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and talk mm -hmm. about the back half of the book, but right. it made me think while I was reading it that, oh my gosh, I hope that they were not trying to set this up as the potential to do a second season oh, and God. save oh, material. Ew. And oh, that's no. why they left it. Because part of my largest complaint with the finale of The Undoing was how unresolved it felt and how they didn't give Grace any sort of ending at all. It was just mm -hmm. the bridge scene and that was it. And what the book did so beautifully was explored what a person does to rebuild their life after everything they thought they knew about someone and their life built around that person is completely shattered. And it's a wonderful story and it's a personal story. However, I don't think any of that stuff would be something that HBO would necessarily... I don't know. I, I take that back, actually, because HBO does a lot of pieces that are more mm -hmm. character studies and not necessarily, like, violent whodunits. But I do think there's a market for that, and that's what Kelly's known for, and to lean into the first half, which deals with this upper-crust, rich... You know, there's a great line where she talks about her resentment she has as a rich person resenting, like, the astronomically rich. And that's, like, David E. Kelly's happy place. Like, he loves mm -hmm. this idea mm -hmm. of upper-crust cast conflict and well, I think that's interesting I think that's interesting because one of the smaller differences that stood out to me was the fact that they they aren't really rich as in this wealthy book. yeah they're like, comparatively not I mean rich, compared but they're to still, us yeah. they're rich right but right. compared to like <laughs> everyone else they know they're not it's just insane when you think about the fact that they're both doctors and they don't consider right. themselves to be wealthy but when you're comparing that to the people that they go into detail in in the book, which I can, again, see how the show tried to replicate but didn't necessarily do a good enough job because we all had a lot of questions about the money and <laughs> yeah. why were they complaining and why was Henry's tuition a question? Like, I feel like they lifted a lot of lines directly from the book without necessarily lifting the surrounding context. Mm -hmm. And what happened was we were left, and I'm sure they did that on purpose to lead us down all these paths that we went down, which sustained, you know, enough of a podcast to present it to you guys. But that's where I feel like if you're going to lift from the book, don't do so as explicitly unless you're going to also fill in all these surrounding details to make it make sense because for us watching the show we were kind of scratching our head like this incredibly glamorous woman that lives in a really nice house and in the book you learn that this is her parents house and and it's in an apartment right it's yeah. not it's not a brownstone it's, it's just an apartment on the upper west side mm -hmm. and i don't know why they couldn't have just adhered to this to those details to make it align right. more with what they're trying to say instead of like well we also have to put nicole kidman in designer and have her house look nice too because that's what viewers want to see and I, I think that was a big mistake because it made Grace a lot more likable as a mm -hmm. character. Mm -hmm. It made her a lot more human. And I think I can see how Nicole Kidman tried to capture some of that with her acting. And I don't necessarily, I feel 
more sympathetic towards Nicole Kidman in hindsight, and I think yeah. maybe this was a directorial issue more than anything else. Like, David E. Kelly thought that this was going to translate by making all of Nicole Kidman's actions seem like, is she actually doing this? Is this a memory? Is this a flashback? Is this a construct? To capture some of the sense of like what it's like to be in this woman's head for you know 400 odd pages that the book takes up. I just don't think the choice paid off because we were all left scratching our head at the end being like what was he trying to make? Was this a commentary on mental health? Like it was very frenetic so, and I, it was on consistent those lines, in the book. Like for example in the book when she meets well, not Elena um, <laughs> uh, what, what, what is the character's name in the in the book? Um Malaga. Malaga. I wanted to say something else, and I knew that was wrong. When she meets Malaga, she has a flashback to seeing another woman at the gym who was naked in the mirror brushing her hair. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously in the show, we have that gym locker room scene between Elena and Grace. And that kind of built in this whole weird element to the story where we were like did they know each other you know did she know what was happening whereas in the book like grace felt much more grounded because she was just recalling something that was a similar experience and i think that that was just again the book was just so much stronger and maybe it's because you're able to have that point of view that voice sort of having more time to come around to things I don't know but it just everything worked better for me and the character of Grace seemed a lot less uh I mean I didn't you know Grace in the book isn't somebody I'd necessarily want to be friends with although I warmed to her a lot more as the book went than I did to Nicole Kidman's portrayal of Grace throughout the whole series for sure but I thought that there were a lot of choices in the book of how they dealt with like when she would have conversations with herself as her own therapist. And I feel like in the show, there were moments where I, I, again, it's like Nicole Kidman was directed to act like she was experiencing that in her mind. Like she was confronting herself and trying to shrink herself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in the book, it was so much more successful because you could have that inner monologue. You could see that dialogue. So on, on that note, like one of the other big changes was the, you know, the removal of the book within the book. And mm. the first time we meet Grace, she's getting ready to sit down for a big interview because this book, you know, it's supposed to going to be like the next The Rules or, um, I don't know, like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus or, you know, something like that, which I thought was a really interesting construct. But Carolyn, it didn't sound like that worked for you too well in the book. What did you think? Yeah, I didn't really think that it, it did I think that was like the only thing that completely discredited Grace to me in some way and I guess we are just supposed to accept that as as the irony like this big twist and and it does present a lot of good conflict for her as she is questioning herself and trying to decide whether or not to continue her practice in the upheaval like she you know you can understand I mean if you literally wrote the book on saying that you should have known something was wrong with your man and this happens to you, uh, you know, that, that's got to be a big blow, not just to your ego, but to, but to yourself and, and your whole, like, system. I don't know. I, I can understand why, because of that, because of the jarring reaction I had to that and how I was kind of like, oh, come on. Um, I can understand why the TV series left it out, especially because they were trying to make it a whodunit. And if it had been titled that and she had that book, we would have from the start known that this was like the big ironic twist is that it's her husband, you know, from the get-go. So in order to make it at all of a mystery whodunit, they had to take that out. Rebecca, what did you think? Yeah, I liked that about it. I, I thought that it shifted all of the stakes. And at the beginning, the murder mystery, because, you know, I, we've seen the show. So I was, when I started reading this book, expecting a whodunit. I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting what I got, and I was really pleasantly surprised that once, you know, once it's her book is called You Should Have Known, and she's from the opening scene being interviewed, and this idea that she's about to go on this big press tour, there's all this buzz building up, that anticipation of this woman who is in this sphere of influence, she keeps referring to the fellow parents at Reardon as titans, and she kind of isn't right now. She's just a, a therapist, a lowly therapist. Again, this is all just 
goes with a big eye roll that any of these people would consider themselves anything less than affluent. But mm -hmm. in their sphere, she's kind of, you know, feeling like she's nothing nothing special compared to these women. She only has one Birkin bag, which turns out to be a fake, instead of her friend Lindsay, who has every oh. Birkin bag one could want in a walk-in closet. And all these people have Rothko's. And it's just all extra. And she's about to have her big break. And she's now going to get her moment in the spotlight. And you can tell she doesn't want to be as flattered by that as she is. But she's very fixed in the opening scenes on whether she looks the part, mm -hmm. whether she's going to feel like an actress, or rather an author. So I really felt that tension and, and realized pretty quickly, okay, Jonathan definitely did this. They're not going to go anywhere but Jonathan with this. And this is going to be about the tension around this woman figuring it out. And for me, having the book there made the tension much higher. The stakes were much, much higher. If this had just been a woman who was mostly a therapist and a mom and was not necessarily having anything else in her plate if it was grace like we got in the undoing i would have i had the same amount of sympathy i had in the show which was not very much you just kind of feel like okay yeah that's too bad for you like you'll rebuild your life and be fine and in this case i felt like this woman's got a lot to lose they aren't going to publish her book she can't go on the view anymore <laughs> all of this work that she's done is going to be undermined by the actions of her shitty husband like I, that felt so much more intense to me than if it hadn't been there and if it had just focused on the whodunit, I thought that that was like one of the strongest parts. What did you think, Teresa? Well, I thought it really worked well as a sort of heightened version of like every woman who's ever kind of looked at a friend and been like, yeah, how didn't you see this coming? You know what I yeah. mean? And yeah. Like we've all been there with hey. some, <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> um, so we've all been there with some friend who has like a run-of-the-mill shitty boyfriend and you're like, yeah, yep. I told you, like, why, you why should have known. you see this? Yeah, you should have known. Maybe that's why I'm hypersensitive to this. I have literally spent the past like a couple of years of my life having uh, that conversation with people, uh, that people telling me that. So maybe well, that's why oh, I boy. was, yeah, maybe that's why I was sensitive to that. Well, before he murders somebody, get out. Um <laughs> Yeah, but so, like, I don't, I, I actually, I really like that part because it was, I think it's a creative way of doing that, right? And yep. of, and then, like, her seeing all the ways in which he manipulated her later on is, I think, yep. we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think that's one of the most interesting things to me. And, I mean, you, you maybe, maybe the fact that he is a murderer, he's like a pathological liar, a narcissist, a psychopath, whatever you want to call him, um, like he's not just your run-of-the-mill shitty boyfriend, right? He's not no. just like a liar or a cheater or, a, you know, chronically without Secretly a gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved that part. Her, her patient, I felt like they should have, mm -hmm. of all the things that the show chose to omit, um, that fit within the like new direction that the show took from the book. I felt like that scene should have been left in because I felt like it really did parallel her experience in a different way, obviously, but I felt like that was a really strong uh, scene in the book and I think it would have played out so well. That scene really played out in my head really, really well and I think they could have gotten a great actress in there to play that as, you know, a... a like in that scene I really I, I enjoyed that a lot and we got all those therapy scenes in the show right that we were kind of mm -hmm. like are we supposed to be getting something from these you know right. and and we didn't right like the only thing we really got from it was that like her patients walk out on her a lot because she's a tough talker or whatever which I guess is what we're supposed to take like that sort of compares to, you know, wagging your finger at someone and telling them you should have known. But it would have meant a lot more if they actually had put in these all these things where it's like you should have been able to see this along the way because it would have been a good way to make us to, it would be a good little Easter egg to be able to go back now, look at those yeah. and be like, yeah. oh, yeah, these were all people who were just as blind as she was just in a different way. And Instead, you know, they just gave us, like, that that bickering gay couple, you know? Yeah, it did everything to get us off the track. But I think it would have been even more fun, like you said, to have those Easter eggs, to have those little clues, to include that, that Lisa character in a therapy session. 
maybe include the fake Birkin bag that's like just representative of their whole fake relationship and everything crumbling like there are just there were little things from the book that had I been adapting this I would have latched on to I get where they were going to make it like good salacious HBO TV but that being said there were definitely things in this that were just so much stronger that got left out um and and that that Lisa character in the therapy session was one of my favorites in the book. So were there any other differences that stood out to you from this first half of the book? Well, from the first half, yeah. uh, or that first, you know, the I part was that ready, correlates I was ready to, to go here with the second half, but uh, in the first half, I think um, really it was like the complete absence of Jonathan. That Jonathan is. I, I think Rebecca phrased it perfectly. He's a ghost, like, haunting her this whole time. Um, the complete absence of him not having, not seeing any of their connection, not getting to experience any of their relationship or marriage uh, made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that that was kind of in the first half one of the most, the biggest standouts to me of a difference. So one of the other things that kind of stood out to me was this was a very Jewish story. There's a very mm. Jewish family. Yeah, the book has a very heavy presence of faith. Well, yeah, sort of, I guess. Um, I just think, like, as opposed to, like, waspy New York, it's it's Jewish New York, mm-hmm. right? And I thought that was a, I don't know, it seemed like a, I mean, I guess if you're going to get Nicole Kidman to play the character, then you kind of have to make her waspy because that is like the whitest woman on the face of the earth. She's <laughs> sort of as Anglo-Saxon as they come. The same reason they arbitrarily made Jonathan English, because I right. guess Hugh Grant can't do an American accent because Jonathan <laughs> is from Long Island. And I think it would have been much more interesting if they had just cast different leads and had it been a Jewish story as it was intended to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I thought so much of, um, well, we can get into this a little bit later when we talk about Grace's stepmother, but even like the fact that the stepmother's family was very religious as Mm. as opposed to hers, I thought was really interesting. But um, it's just one of those sort of arbitrary differences that maybe doesn't make a whole big lot of difference to the plot, but I think it would have given the story a lot more texture if they, you know, if they didn't just want to go for a star-studded whodunit. This could have been, like, more character actors. It could have been more down-to-earth. It could have been much more interesting if they just stuck to the book, really. Far more realistic and less formulaic. I mean... I just feel like the choices that were made turned the source material into something that f- could be any mm-hmm. whodunit released by any network that had a lot of money and star power put behind it, which is all well and good. That's entertaining. Mm-hmm. But it could have been something really standout if they'd gone in a different direction. I, we've talked about this before, but I am really sort of reminded of the night of and mm-hmm. how that was a whodunit, but played around with the idea of, of psychological memory and time and that was done so well and was so gritty and so lived in and felt like real people that you have seen and heard about or know in your real life. And this, the way that they took the source material and drained it of all that and instead just kind of turned it into, you know, it could have been anything. They just made it glossy. They just wanted it to be glossy. Exactly. That's not really what the story was. And they wanted it to be a whodunit, which is not what the story was. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. they, they could have made an entirely different show really. Um, and it could have been great. I mean, I would have loved yeah. to watch the show. Like, if it had been a straight interpretation, sign me up. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt that the whole... Um, I When I said that there's, like, a lot of faith in the book, I feel like mm-hmm. the references to Judaism and the tie-in, especially in the second half, I think that that would have been a much more interesting aspect to explore. Uh, and And just even giving it a cultural definition and how, like, faith and... and Jewish tradition and culture was affecting the characters and and the outcomes and the situation they were in uh, with the families and things like that. It was interesting that they just completely took that out for me when I after reading the book. I was like, whoa, this got really, I, 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 it just got kind of, it got wasp washed. <laughs> I don't know if that's a term, but that's how I felt. 
so I really slogged through the first part of this book, especially mostly because it adheres so closely to the first few episodes of the show that there was no real interest in it for me and it just took longer, you know. But I, I really did love the second half of this book, which takes place outside of New York as Grace and Henry sort of retreat to the family cabin on a lake in Connecticut, which is like a crappy seasonal cottage, not a giant mansion on the beaches of um, the Hamptons or wherever she was in that in the show. And they both really begin to thrive and rebuild their lives. So Rebecca, what did you think about the second half of the book? It was great. I mean, it was everything that the show was missing that I wanted. And I really don't understand why the show couldn't have included some of this. I mean, the show didn't introduce her estranged former best friend, Vita, at all. So right. I guess you could have cut that. But you could have given her the resolution of, first of all, going to a normal house and living in existence that's more normal than Brownstone, New York, which mm -hmm. I think was good for all of them. They got out of that like comparison you know, she, Grace in the book comes off as likable, but a little, you know, materialistic in the book. Mm -hmm. She's definitely interested in possessions and things and put, ascribes a lot of weight to things. And we under, we come to understand, like in the movie, or the I keep saying movie, the show, that her father used lavish gifts, which she thinks as because he loved his wife, but really because he kept cheating on her. So mm -hmm. that, like, tokenism is very much ingrained in her. And to have them go to this kind of rundown summer holiday home that doesn't have heating and they've got to go to Price Chopper and get a space heater and suddenly all of their brands go from referencing art and designers to Ben and Jerry's flavors that they can and cannot get and mm -hmm. they're going to Geisler's and it, it all comes very down home. She gets a love interest in a boy that she had grown up with swimming on the lake and he'd had like a teenage crush on her and they, he plays in a fiddle band and gets Henry into the fiddle band. Henry goes mm -hmm. to a normal middle school. He has a, a good experience with that. He suddenly doesn't have to be like playing classical. And I mean, that's the other thing. Like Grace is obsessed with Henry more so in the book with Henry being a good violinist and like that and a classical violinist. And she's got no taste for other instruments. I think it's interesting that you hit on that because I think that's one of the ways the book shows us just how much a part of this New York world Grace really is, right? Like yeah. that's her way of competing with her friends is that Henry is going to this teacher who only accepts students, so many students and they have to be very serious and they have to have a lot of potential and he's basically a jerk, right? And we get this yeah. understanding that Henry is actually not very happy. Yeah. He's not... He doesn't really like playing the violin anymore, and she's sort of disappointed in that. And I think this is, as much as she talks about all these other really rich people, you can see how much she's really comparing herself to them and their children. And when yeah. Henry... Henry Henry especially really thrives in Connecticut, right? He, he We also get this understanding that he didn't really have any friends in New York. Yeah. That his one friend has ditched him, basically. Yep. And um, as soon as he gets to Connecticut, he's got like a band of nerds to hang out with. And yep. then he's and then he gets invited to play the like fiddle or I guess he kind of gets conned into playing the fiddle yeah. a little bit. But all of a sudden his interest in music is rekindled because it's not like such a slog anymore. And I I really yep. thought that was like just super interesting. Yeah, and if we'd just gotten even a like compressed 15 minutes of that at the end of the last episode of The Undoing, the show, mm. I would have been more satisfied. Even if it was just a montage set to Leon Bridges while they <laughs> build a new life in this little... And it was a real cabin and not like some palatial... Because that was the problem. Mm. David A. Kelly's desire to have everything be sumptuous and, and to use your word, Teresa, glossy, mm. Mm -hmm. came at the behest of the, of what made the book well, I think if there's anything and if there's a message in this book, it's not necessarily you should have known. Mm -hmm. It's that you could have all the tools one could possibly have to know and still yeah. not know. Mm -hmm. It's that mm -hmm. you need to get yourself yeah. into an environment that's healthy and puts you first and allows you to th see things clearly, which was not the ecosystem that she was living in in New York, which is something that she'd grown up in and maintained this sense of internal blindness throughout. Mm -hmm. I mean, she she's very much anchored to the fact that she lives in her parents' home. She there spends a lot of time talking about like, and this is my parents' bed. We got a new mattress, but this was the yeah. These were the curtains, and she really wants the china back that was her mom's china. 
And the last line of the book is her stepping out of the house that she used to live in. And that idea that she's put that whole world, even though it's been the majority of her life spent mm-hmm. in this little dollhouse, not seeing things clearly. And she's going to step off the curb and away from that life and start over. I mean, that would have been a really beautiful thing for the show to convey. And I think Nicole Kidman could have done a really nice job with it, as could the young actor that played Henry. He was very capable. They could have like first finds found some creative way to encapsulate the pathos of the back half of the book does so beautifully you mean instead of ending with <laughs> jonathan trying to jump off a bridge but still exactly not <laughs> yeah i mean at least jump jonathan and give him some satisfaction <laughs> so we also get to see a lot of how grace's life and relationships have been impacted by jonathan which we didn't get into in the show very much carolyn what did you think of the extra insight we get get into like grace's broken relationships with you know everyone from her best friend to her stepmother to jonathan's family so this is where the book really i mean and we keep saying it the second half of the book it really starts to shine uh because you i mean you're just i i like couldn't put it down i was so enthralled with what she was learning and and the just how this the the backstory and the kind of like what brought us to this moment of this horrible crime but beyond that like what you know how she didn't know and what she didn't know about her husband and i thought i i was just so enthralled with the whole situation of kind of the fact that she has to rebuild her life and that she does it by facing the past that maybe she sensed was always there, but never wanted to investigate, never wanted to actually hear or face. And uh, the character of Grace just having the bravery to seek out the past and talk to them about it and pull things out. Um, and, and I think it all starts with that conversation with the doctor um, at the hospital. Um, the one who had been his superior and didn't want to hire him and his whole observations of watching Jonathan's career. And, you know, it's so hard for her to hear this, but then, you know, and it's hard for her to hear all of these things from Jonathan's family, from her friend Vita, from, you know, everyone, Uh, her father, just kind of coming to terms with not only Jonathan, but herself was just so well done because when you have an inciting incident like this that is just so dramatic and changes your life completely uh, you know instead of just yes she runs away in some sense and like changes her life completely but she also takes the time to kind of face the past and learn and and get some get some answers and and try to resolve it which i thought was so brave and so beautifully written and and, and this is the part of the book where I felt like it was really honest and, and these characters were really well-developed, uh, including making Grace a much more. Like we keep saying, like Nicole Kidman's performance was odd, but reading this book, like I, I feel like she was really just trying to like bring this character of Grace who gets this amazing growth through this in the book. Yeah, Rebecca, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, my favorite part was the relationship with her best friend. Because mm. we were kind of left wondering what the extent of Sylvia's relationship was to Grace, like whether they mm. would have been friends before. And we understand through the course of this book that they were schoolmates, but not necessarily very close. Mm-hmm. And Grace did have this very close friend, Vita. And she thinks about Vita a lot. But then the first, actually, one of the early red flags I had for Grace was when she refers to her friendship with uh, Vita as dematerializing mm-hmm. and kind of seeing it as a, well, you know, we just grew apart kind of thing. But mm-hmm. she also is my very best childhood friend in the world. But it was just sort of like she was there and then she wasn't. And if I wasn't so apathetic I'd be really sad and if I wasn't so angry I would you just was like okay girl like something went on here and then that's followed up by the episode where Jonathan accuses her of getting into some sort of feud with Stu's wife because Mm -hmm. he -hmm. claims that they tried to hang out a couple of times and Grace didn't make it happen I actually had to go back and reread it because I was really confused as Mm -hmm. was Grace but I think that's either an example of Jonathan having done something bad and messed it up and blamed Grace or Grace being a little bit careless with her relationships. And that's also her problem. It's not necessarily, it might be causal of being married to Jonathan, but she's got the propensity to kind of 
turn a blind eye to the real human relationships in her life other than Jonathan. And I think the book wants to set it up to kind of say that Jonathan is such a malignant narcissist sociopath that he's sucked all of that out of her and, dro- and drove a wedge. But I also think there's like inherent blame on Grace's side that she doesn't value some of these other relationships But more. didn't you feel that in the book like she is really facing that much more than oh, in, certainly. in the show where – there, there's that that gross scene where Jonathan, like, she's in the shower and he's being all, like, weird, like, you want me to come in and play doctor? And they're talking about, like, moving out of the city and how they don't really have friends and everything. Because a couple that doesn't have, somebody who doesn't have, like, close friends, it's that's a big red flag about yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. So, you know, and I feel like one of the things that the show really for me with the character Grace was that, yeah, she has that kind of relationship with Sylvia, and and that weird relationship with her father and but like in the book I just felt so uh I, I it felt so much more satisfying to have a character who was like taking taking a commitment to really kind of reown herself and yeah. sort of and get face at the heart of this. The, you know, have agency in her life and, and yeah. but even like I think, you know, Vita is also the one that orchestrates that and mm-hmm. Vita has a lot of regret and beats herself up about the fact that she didn't reach out sooner and Grace is still kinda like, Oh yeah, I I guess you're here and we you know, it's like she's still like very She's got to, like, relearn a lot of this. Yeah. And she says when – she's got a great line, and when she starts getting to know Vita again, like, chunks of her memory are coming back. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I thought that that was a really beautiful way to kind of explain estrangement and then coming back together with someone and that act of healing a relationship, what that does to two people individually with their own psychology. Like, you have to, to forgive and forget and move on. That requires a lot of inner resolution. And you can see these two women using each other and the fact they're in the same profession – Vita's yeah. the one that suggests, like, hey, Grace, maybe you should see a therapist. And Grace is like, oh, my God, crazy. I had never thought yeah. of that before. And it's like, girlfriend, <laughs> yes, get a therapist. And they kind of help each other figure out who they were and who they are now. And I thought that that was a really strong thing. And especially strong because, let's face it, like, all women, as you said at the beginning of this episode, Teresa, have had this mm-hmm. experience with a friend dating a guy that, is bad for them and takes you them away from you and you have to make that difficult decision of whether I'm going to fight for this person and risk ending up being estranged by that act of, of standing up and mm-hmm. potentially driving them even closer to that person. And then when you finally, because you always do eventually get that person back if they're a real friend and you're like, oh my gosh, you were blind and now you see, this is so mm-hmm. great. And it had that satisfaction that I think a lot of women and probably a lot of men can really relate to. And I thought that that was one of the strongest elements that the book had to offer. And I understand why the show cut it, to be honest. Like, I think that's a really hard, well, maybe not. I mean, I think they could have done it. I just, I think it either needed to be longer or shorter. And if it had included the relationship, it might've helped us understand Grace better and have more sympathy for her and also feel like Grace developed as a character as a result of this happening, which she really didn't in the show. You didn't Mm -hmm. get any sense Grace might know the truth now, but she's not, like, changed as a person because of it. No. Yeah, I feel like the show could have started with Grace coming home to find her apartment swarming with police and being like, what the hell? And gone from there. Yeah. Because Mm. the courtroom stuff's just not that interesting. And the, I think the... All the all the red herrings they tried to throw at us just are sort of disappointing in the end. Whereas I think corny this story of a woman getting her life back is incredibly interesting I, i've never seen that story before have you i no, i can't think and, of anything like that and i so the book is divided into three parts before during and after mm-hmm. and to me i i feel that this series could have taken and should have taken that as a clue for how to operate the mm-hmm. fact that the author took the time to like really you know, create this kind of timeline mm-hmm. that uh, dealing around, you know, I mean, it's just so think about how you would feel fine. Like her whole world just completely crumbles. And we've all had moments, maybe not finding out that your husband is, is, is a, you know, a murderer and, and destroying your family and imploding it really. But we've all had moments in our life that are so huge that there is, you look back on it as a before, a during and an after. And I thought, to me, that was a really effective way of kind of setting this up. And I guess 
if if this show had really wanted to commit to this book and to this storytelling, it would have been to really commit to the concept of before, during, and after. Which in the book, the after is the really, I think, the best part of the book. Uh, whereas it really, the, the TV show, the HBO show, really was like, let's focus on the during. Yeah. Uh, and then making up a whole part that yeah, didn't and, even and exist. Just, yes. Yeah, I mean, the relationship with Vita I thought was super interesting because Vita is this really warm person who just is immediately back to being great friends, yeah. right? She's mm-hmm. hugging Grace and inviting her over for dinner and, you know, just like, you're going to meet my kids, we're going to do this, we're going to be best friends again. And you're like, I almost don't understand how this woman ever walked away, right? Yeah. Because... Mm. The story is that basically she was in the wedding and then Grace never saw her again, which is really like. Well, she seems to stress that it was, I mean, obviously we know it's, it's Jonathan. And again, like, I mean, Jonathan wasn't abusive in the traditional sense, but if you've ever been around an abusive relationship, you know that the, the abuser scares off anyone who would be any sort of lifeline. So I was willing to accept the character of Vita at, and, you know, the, the fact that she is so warm and, and so quick to have Grace back in her life is because, you know, she, she backed off because it was like the safe thing to do for Grace. She talks about like that mm-hmm. moment that Jonathan gave her that look like, don't come over here. This is mine now. And I mean, that is like a classic sign to look for in a relationship like an abusive relationship where, you know, a man will, will do that with, with a woman's close circle of friends to separate them, to not give her that lifeline. So for me, the character of Vita, I understood where that was coming from because of that. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I think, I think the change is abrupt, right? She's one day she's in the wedding and the next day she's never heard from again. You'd think Grace would try to call her and be and be like, hey, or show up at her door and be like, hey, what's going on? But we also know that Grace is apparently oblivious to her to her own yeah. stuff. But so and also apathetic. I mean, she truly doesn't seem to mm-hmm. care as much. Like Vita seems really devastated that the relationship mm-hmm. ended yeah. and said she carried all this guilt. And Grace is yeah. just kind of like, yeah, I was really worried that Henry wasn't going to become a famous violinist yeah (laughs) she just got her priorities completely wrong and i think that that's what makes the second half so rewarding is that you watch sort of in real time as this woman readjusts her priorities and starts focusing more on her son what he really wants she seems to develop a better relationship with her father one of the other things we haven't touched on yet Mm -hmm. that i think is fantastic is she rekindles her relationship with jonathan's family which the show Mm -hmm. really just reduced to that one zoom call Mm-hmm. where you didn't get the sense that they were ever going to speak again. And in the book, she goes and meets them and learns all about them and learns how Jonathan, it, in this case, it was not his little sister, but his little brother that he let basically get sick, let outside. I was confused about that, too. He basically, I was very confused. Yeah. Like, did he get hit by a car? Did he die of pneumonia? No, I think he did. Because they, they said that by the time they got home and got him to the hospital, his fever was 105 and it was too high mm-hmm. and too late mm-hmm. at that point. So you assume that something happened. The kid got outside. He got sicker than he already was, died of illness. But more importantly, we learned that they have taken in Malaga's daughter, who and the baby is named Elena, so mm-hmm. which is infinitely confusing. But they've adopted; mm-hmm. they're in the process of adopting the baby because um, his name is not Fernando in the book, and I'm not going to remember his name. Mm-hmm. Malaga's husband has left with uh, Miguel; they're gone. They've absconded, and he left the baby behind because he couldn't bear to look at it. And obviously, mm-hmm. the baby is Jonathan. So Jonathan's family takes in this baby, which I thought was wonderful resolution that the show is missing like we mm-hmm. i remember us asking what happens to this poor child now yeah <laughs> and that was great and so watching like these this healing that basically goes on when i reached the midpoint of the book and it was clear they weren't taking any departures it was jonathan all the way mm-hmm. i was like wow what are they going to do with the back half of this book like i was kind of dreading it and it was really wonderful and sustaining to watch this woman kind of heal across the board like all of these relationships and she ends the book 
a happier person that knows herself better with a larger circle of people to lean on than she starts off with, which is Mm -hmm. a happy ending. Yeah, and I think one of the, it's almost sort of the smallest part of this, but her relationship to her stepmother, who doesn't exist in in the show, I thought was really yeah. interesting because it's such an easy thing to do, right? To like vilify the stepmother, to mm-hmm. you see everything she does as some sort of slight against you, including like serving you, you know, tea in your mother's china that you wish you had. And you can sort of see, one, Grace's inability to just stand up and say, hey, can I have that? You know? Yeah. Like, I would mm-hmm. really love my mom's wedding china. Yep. <laughs> and how how easy it was for Jonathan to twist things to turn her against somebody. Yeah. Because these are people that she didn't get completely cut off from. You know, she still had a, you know, they went over there for Shabbat dinner every week. Um, They saw them all the time, but she just had this seething underlying resentment for this woman who turns out she was like, no, we have plenty of dishes. Take them. I just thought you (laughs) like, I, I, and I thought you would like to, see them once in a while that's why you were that's why i was giving them to you it's not because i think they're not worth you know serving good dinner on or whatever and i thought that was such a small thing but to see her coming around to even that i thought was really interesting but i think what the book does such a nice job is is the blame is not squarely on jonathan like jonathan is Mm -hmm. clearly a sociopath that's lied and cheated and murdered a woman like that's Mm -hmm. cut and dry it's not got anything to do with the book really he's not there he doesn't show up. We don't need. We don't even get so much as really a description of him other than he's lanky. Mm-hmm. And there is so much time spent with Grace's mind and her thoughts. And to see her shortcomings and not just paint her as like a wounded, perfect woman. Like we love that trope of like this is the, the perfect good mother TM. And yet this man, this bad man has wounded her. And she was a very complicated character that was responsible for perpetuating some of the same things that her husband did in her own right. I mean, she could have as you said, Teresa directly asked for the China. She could Mm -hmm. have stayed in better touch with Vita. She could have called Stu's wife and been like, what's wrong? Like, why do you think we've had Mm -hmm. a falling out? I mean, all of these moves she just refused to make. And she was this meek, passive person. And I don't think the book is setting up us to blame that entirely on Jonathan. Jonathan preyed on her and used, I think, a propensity she already had to see what she Mm -hmm. wanted to see, which is why she was so blind to her family situation. And I thought the Mm -hmm. book did an excellent job of not letting Grace off the hook, which the television show didn't even bother to put Grace on the hook to begin with, so there was no hook to let her off. But the book did a really nice job of holding Grace to account and not necessarily having any retribution. We never really find out what happens to Jonathan. We Mendoza goes down to Brazil to get him, but we don't know. You know, It doesn't matter. Jonathan's story right. doesn't matter. It's about Grace and Grace figuring out and owning her shit and getting her shit together and fixing it. And you'll love to see it. Yeah, it's just so much better. It just felt so much more satisfying. Though, like, Jonathan's crime and, and his his why and his story, just not having that, just not having him, like, on some wild car chase and, like, you know, threatening to jump off a bridge, not having that made this story so much better. And yeah. I really do wish they had explored things that were here in the book that they decided were you know not not going to be I loved Teresa's word they weren't going to be glossy enough mm. I think also you so we get this turning point for Grace where she we hear for a while like she's not really she's not really ready to admit the full weight of what she's coming to understand right I think mm-hmm. there's I think it's someone calls him a psychopath and she's kind mm-hmm. of like I'm not really ready to use that word yet you know she can't quite go there yet but then she gets this letter from him that's sort of it seems like it's feeling her out to see whether or not she's going to turn him in Mm -hmm. and she chooses to right and he turns out not to be where she thinks he is so i was a little confused by that was it like him just messing with her was did he know that she turned him in and then left and went to brazil like i wasn't really totally I don't know that I totally got that but that's that same turning point that we see sort of in the show where she decides to out him as someone who also killed his little his you know little sister in the show and I thought 
you know, I mean, I don't know that either of those is better than the other, but I think it worked really well in the book as that point at which of no return for her, right? Like she's finally out of this for good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the other things that gets resolved in this is Henry's request for a dog. Oh, oh yeah. I know. Yeah, I was oh, wondering if so you were going to bring satisfying. that up, dog lover. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to complain about the author who breed shames the pitbulls in the in the pound. <laughs> like, also, she went and got a hound, which are like arguably the worst dogs. So I'm just going to say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they even go through this whole thing where they explain how she's gotten a electric fence installed oh god that was a little concerning that she (laughs) that that part i i don't even want to i think we should just let people like read that and understand that it is concerning and a weird kind of insight into her uh parenting and her ideas of Mm -hmm. you know learning things the hard way uh maybe it was just a because of where she was at in her life let's (laughs) let's let it at that but yeah i did love that the dog is what she and I love that she calls and says he's getting a dog mm-hmm. after meeting with Jonathan's family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the show really needed a dog. <laughs> that that yeah. would have been a nice, yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved the character of the dog. I also really, I really just like, I mean, I happen to live on a lake in Connecticut, so this really hit home for me. Like the entire setting mm-hmm. of like the neighbors up the street who play music all the time, who she, you know, starts getting romantically involved with, although that did seem a little quick. She's, it's literally been what, a few weeks before she's meeting this guy and like striking up some sort of romance. But I guess when your husband kills well, somebody, it's not the same as, you know. Yeah you know becoming a widow or something yeah it's not the same as being widow or they also knew each other they had you Mm -hmm. know teenage tension that they could call upon and he seemed real wholesome and got along with her kid i feel like i would lay it on yeah yeah i was okay with that i didn't feel i felt like it was good for her I just um, wanted to see, like, give poor Nicole Kidman, like, a juicy man. She didn't get it in Big Little Lies. Well, she did, but it was, like, gross bar men that she was like, just this banging. Is what like, I'm saying. give this woman a real love interest, for goodness I 100% sake. 100% wanted Nicole Kidman to have this role from this book and not the role that was written for this show. Yeah. Like, this book was so much a better character and had so much to work with and grow with and, and develop. Instead, uh, they gave her just garbage compared to what is in this book yeah i kind of you know what i think i would have liked to see laura dern in this role Mm. i think um you know she's got a little bit more of an every woman thing about her at least when she's not playing renata um yeah it's hard to Mm. ever feel bad for nicole kidman unless you know perry's actually beating her up she's just so you're just like yeah you'll be fine girl just like walk out on the street and a rich guy's gonna try to marry you yes it's fine um, like, but I think aside from like, yes, I mean, Nicole Kidman is just the most like aspirational beauty maybe of our time. But like this role, if it had been written the way it is in the book, would mm-hmm. have given her so much to work with. Mm-hmm. It really would have been like a standout performance for her career wise uh, for any actor who played this. I mean, there was just such a better grace in this book mm-hmm. than was even hinted at in the show. Yeah, it's the just show... so much more interesting. There's, like, yeah. Grace in the show is barely a person. You know, she's wandering around at night. Mm-hmm. She's loopy. <laughs> You're not sure if she's really mentally ill. Like, like you, you have no real sense of who Grace is until maybe the last few minutes of the last episode, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, she just is sort of, um, I don't even in those responses where you know she's kind of like no you don't like people when he's talking about wanting to leave the um wanting to leave the fundraiser and she's just so cool right which is very nicole kidman anyway right she's very sort of statuesque and cool and stoic except for in the prom which um we we shall never talk about again um she just like <laughs> she just has that air about her right so it's sort of um it's almost hard for me to imagine her having played the grace of the book yeah 
Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So I think we know the answer to this, but let's let's give our final verdicts. So did you prefer the book or the show? Rebecca, let's start with you. I mean, obviously the book. Book mm-hmm. all the way. And mm-hmm. I fear that that is always going to be the case with the uh, books that go along with these television shows that we review on this podcast. Yeah. Carolyn, what about you? Oh, yeah. Book all the way. Um, and it's interesting because when you start the book, it does parallel the show so much and, mm-hmm. and not... And, and not as in a glossy, sparkly way. But once you really get into the book, it's just so much better. Uh, I mean, there's just no comparison. The, the, the whole HBO series just kind of feels like a flop to me, uh, even more so after reading this book. I think if you've already seen the show, I would just read the after section. Like, I don't know that I would even really bother that much with certainly maybe not even the before you know like well maybe yeah, before and after maybe you could skip during i don't know um hmm. that would be an interesting that would actually be a really interesting thing i actually challenge our listeners to only read <laughs> the during or the after uh and and let us know what they think like i think that that's an interesting way to approach this if you've seen the show yeah and i mean i think actually in the case of big little lies I think there's a case to be made that the show was better. Um, I think yeah. I might have said that when we talked about it originally. The book is good. The book is fine. But I think the show actually brought a lot to it and sort of, you know, took out some stuff that didn't necessarily need to be there and really kind of gave us a fuller idea of some of the characters or, or just made them fun in a way that they didn't quite come across in the book, you know? Mm. And so I actually... I. I would maybe recommend that show over the book, but this is like, there's no question here. This is a, it's a very different book and a much better book um, yeah. than, than the show. So on that note, are there other things you guys want to recommend? Um, Carolyn, do you have anything? I do. So I have uh, been watching your honor on Showtime. That's starring Brian Cranston and it's, really I don't know if either of you have uh, stumbled across this yet um it is really it's a really well done show uh it faces a lot of different social justice issues basically the premise is a uh well-respected judge in New Orleans uh his son commits a crime and uh through a series of events and reasons he decides to work to cover it up and uh, then we have this whole, uh, you know, 10-part sh- series about that, about the cover-up and the, the reason why and, and the aftermath and who else is involved and how it affects him professionally and personally. And obviously, Brian Cranston is just, you know, like, an, uh, uh, he's just like a top-of-the-line actor. Uh, he could literally just, like, fart on TV, and you'd be like, yeah, this is Emmy-worthy. Um but this show is really, it's, it's really good. And it's a good, uh, it, it's, it's a definitely bingeable watch. So I recommend that. And then I'm also going to throw in Death to 2020 on Netflix, which if you haven't watched, um, you need to watch because it is a wonderful way to look back at the uh, dumpster fire that is burning um, behind us in 2020. It's really, it's really well done. It's a mockumentary done by the Black Mirror people. Rebecca, what about you? So my lowbrow is actually to answer your question about whether are there any other like television books out there that deal with like a woman kind of getting her life together after an event. And mm. the closest I could come up with on the top of my head, which is definitely got highbrow elements, but I'm going to classify it as a lowbrow. We might have actually endorsed this previously. I just cannot recall anything from a week ago, let alone what we were endorsing <laughs> last year. But it is Mrs. Fletcher on HBO. It's based on a book by Tom Parada, I believe of the same name. And it deals in, uh, Catherine Hahn plays Mrs. Mm. Fletcher, and I love Catherine Hahn. And it's basically, yeah, I, really, I love her too. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's about this divorcee and her son, who is a senior in high school going into college. And it's about his first year in college and her first year as an empty nester. And it kind of goes in parallel. And he, 
he what goes from being super popular in high school and having all the girls he wants to like really failing in college because he's suddenly like in a college environment that's super woke and he's mm. not he's like this toxic jock and everyone's calling him out all the time so he has like a really bad college experience and has a come to jesus basically because of how crappy his college experience is based on his own actions and mm. his mom by comparison has this like sexual revolution and also mm-hmm. like goes to a writing class at the local community college. She starts dating. She starts masturbating. She starts watching porn. Like she just goes on this whole voyage of like reclaiming herself as an older woman. And it's absolutely delightful and hijinks ensue. But it's a really profound story, but also like very silly and very sexual, which is why I'm putting it on the lowbrow side, though Catherine Hahn is bringing like real star quality to the role. It's It's really, really good. There's only one season out of out, I believe, so far, and it might only just mm. be one. I hope they do more because it was really good. My highbrow, I am certain I have endorsed before, but I'm going to do it again because mm. there's a new season that just came out and it's is coming out weekly on Amazon Prime, and that is my stalwart favorite, The Expanse. It is the best sci-fi show of all time, people. You heard it here first if you're not already watching it. Nobody is on board with it yet, and I don't know why. The fifth season just started. It is so so good the writing is good the acting is good the cgi is fantastic it's just one of the best space dramas i've ever seen and i've watched them all trust me and it has just got everything you need and more and i couldn't recommend it enough there's a bunch of actors i couldn't well that's not true there were some famous actors in the beginning but it's really a cast of people i don't really know and they're all fantastic i just can't say enough about it it's on uh it was on sci-fi now it's on amazon prime bezos saved it it's one of the good things bezos has done (laughs) um i think brian maybe made me watch some of that but kath just to sort of jump on the katherine hahn train i think she might be my favorite actress Mm. based on mostly her performance in transparent oh yeah Mm. so good yeah she like makes me cry almost every time she comes on the screen i love her so much um so i'm going to my lowbrow is bridgerton also on netflix um Or maybe not also. I don't think anyone said anything about Netflix before this. Ignore me. Hmm. Um, So No, I said uh, said, uh, Death to 2020 on Netflix. Oh, right. Okay. So you're right. Continuity. Yeah. So it's it's basically just a Regency romance, which is really not normally my thing. I don't really have any interest in, like, reading Jane Austen. But this is, like, a really kind of different take on it. First of all, it's done by Shonda Rhimes. Um, oh wow who who, again i don't normally like right like not except for um how to get away with murder i don't think i've watched any of her shows really and even how to get away with murder eventually i couldn't take it anymore but this is really different one than anything she's done because it's i mean it's just like talk about glossy it's super sparkly not sparkly exactly it's just like bright you know cottage core Yes, yes. It's very, like, spring, spring-like spring the entire time, right? Like, it's all yeah. these bright colors and flowers and stuff. And it's also a really interesting use of sort of colorblind casting. And we talked about, I watched this because, even though it's not really something I would normally watch, because I was talking about it on the Colin McEnroe show. And we kind of went back and forth about whether or not the casting works here. But I tend to think that it does, because... It's such a fluffy romance that, like, historic accuracy does not really matter at all. But I also learned that apparently Queen Charlotte, there are some rumors that she might have actually been partially of North African descent. And that's that's sort of where this idea came out of, because Hmm. the queen who was Queen Charlotte in this is um, a black woman. That's sweet. Yeah. So it's really interesting. It's kind of cheesy and fun there's some like little proto-feminists running around and there's like a gossip girl element there's yeah. like a grown-up you know sort of british gossip girl <laughs> telling yeah. it writing old-timey pamphlets with a bunch of gossip in it and um it's really it's really just kind of fun my mom called me to tell me to watch it because she's like, there are feminist elements. You will like it. And I was like, okay, mom, I'm glad you watched this horny show. That makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 
it's definitely pretty horny, but it goes from like being super horny to being like not really for a while to then being super horny again. Yeah. And like, so it kind of like you get a break. There okay, in, cool. In That's all yeah. I need. A cool down break. <laughs> um, so the other thing I'm going to, my highbrow recommendation is going to be a book, but because Rebecca and I's lives have been taken over by reading books for our other podcasts, I can only recommend one of those. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to recommend A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving, which is my favorite book of all time. It is his best-selling novel of all time. Um, it's a very sweet book about friendship, but at the same time is also like an anti-war novel. It's a kind of anti-religion novel. It's got another little proto-feminist in it. You know, there's just really a lot to recommend this book. And I have been telling people to read it basically since I was 15 and read it for the first time. So now I'm going to tell all of you to read it. All right. I've already um, read it, but Carolyn, you should read it. Yeah. It will be a palate cleanser for the horrible uh, movie we made you watch based yeah, on I it. Yeah, uh, I think I I think there will be other um, other things that are on my reading list before <laughs> that. Maybe maybe you ruined that one with. Oh the movie. dear, our bad. Yeah. Well. That's another season in the books, I guess. We hope you enjoyed our coverage of The Undoing. And if you're new to the party, be sure to go back and listen to our older discussions about Big Little Lies and Little Fires Everywhere. listening to Big Little Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming one of our valued podcast supporters at www.thebiglittlepodcast.com or just leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Can't get enough of us? Follow us on social media at Big Little Podcast for exclusive content in between new episodes.